Welcome to the Resume Storyteller, bringing you interviews with industry experts, regular folks who tested the job search waters and succeeded, and strategies to tell your story and land you job interviews. Here's your host, Virginia Franco. Hey folks, I am so excited to have with me today, Nicole Chirska, a career coach for women in STEM. Nicole holds a PhD in chemistry, as well as several certifications in coaching and positive psychology. She uses the knowledge together with analytical skills to help her clients to create strategic plans that are easily put into action. She helps women in science and tech to become recognized go-to experts at their companies. For those looking to progress without burnout, Nicole helps to develop professional and leadership skills to help help gain the respect of colleagues and senior leadership, help them enjoy the work and feel proud of it, and to confidently unlock new opportunities to make a bigger impact. So Nicole, thank you so much for speaking with me. I do have a lot of STEM colleagues, both male and female, but I um, I love that you are supporting women in this niche. Oh, thank you for having me. I'm looking forward to our conversation today. Well, to um to have this be your um, role, how is how did this become your passion? Yeah, so as it often has, it took a crisis. So mm-hmm. I I have a science background myself. So I studied food chemistry and I have a PhD in chemistry. And then I worked in consumer goods innovation for a while. So really quite scientific uh, role in the industry. Mm-hmm. And then as it sometimes happens in the industry, uh, there's, a, there's a merger or an acquisition mm-hmm. or restructuring, things like that. Anyway, something like that happened in my company. And I ended up on a position for far too long where I had far too little to do, you know? So I really like working and uh, being busy, you know, and knowing that I can provide some value and there just wasn't the demand there. And um, after, I think in total, it was about 12 to 18 months of like working at 10% of my capacity. Wow, yeah. I felt so horrible. I really had a bore out, you can say. And um, that is when I told myself, okay, I have to pull the emergency brake here. Something's got to give. And um, I sought the help of a coach. And within four sessions, he managed to help me to have my energy back, try new avenues, knock on new doors, you know, like get back into action again, because I had become so lethargic and so low in energy. And I was so surprised by that transformation and how I felt where I was like, oh my God, I want to be able to do that too for people. And um, and that's when I started my coaching training uh, and started to set up my, my coaching practice basically on the side. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, I was also knocking on different doors in, in the company where I worked. And lo and behold, this really paid off because uh, I then had a secondment into another area of the business. Um, and I really clicked with the with my, you know, then future boss, so to speak. I really got along well with the team, the tasks that I was doing. There were nothing that I had any training in, but, um, you know, I grew quickly into that. And they then actually 
gave me a chance because he had a big business transformation project coming up. And me and my newfound love for working with, you know, with the people side of things. Right. Um, and that's when I had the opportunity because they were looking for a change manager for the transformation project. And uh, I literally had the opportunity to write my new job description myself. So, so you took the learnings of your coach and used it to oh, find a role within your company versus going outside. Oh, yes. And I can tell you, this is this was like a 180 degree shift in career. And I don't think, because I had no... I had no track record whatsoever in that field, you know, that I was just starting out in. And I don't believe that any outside company would have given me a chance on that, yeah. you know, but because you knew the industry, you just didn't know the role, right? Mm. And, um, yeah. And so, so that's where, how I ended up with the people work. Wow. I, um, no, that's fascinating. Yeah. Uh, so when it comes to career advancement in general in the, in, the STEM world, hmm. what do you see as one of the biggest impediments to growth? Is it different from company to company? Or are there some commonalities? Um, so when you when you listen to people talk, you know, at networking events or just sharing sharing their stories and how it is, or when I work with my clients who work in different parts of the of or, or different, really different industries, different companies, um, you hear recurring themes. Um, from the, from the companies, but I also hear obviously recurring themes within the individual. So, so maybe I can go briefly into these two parts. So on the company side, um, many companies still lack, you know, the proper policies and culture and so on that really provide equal opportunity to everyone, to, to the marginalized group in the company and to the dominant group in the company. And even with the best intentions, you know, they don't really count when you then in the next leadership training, you look at the cohort and there's only white men in there and say, okay, so thank you for your good intentions, but I think we have to do a bit more. So I'm, 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 and this is where each company has to really take a close look into like what's happening here and, and how can we, like, what do we need to change in order to get, also a few other people other than white men into the into the pipeline but then also and obviously this is like this is a problem and this is an issue that we face but at the same time uh i also see at the individual level that even when opportunities are there for the taking that you know women you know these are the people i i mostly work with um mm-hmm. they they hold themselves back and they talk themselves out of it and um yeah and they just really um s- struggle to overcome that that inner block you know that yeah is, yeah you yeah, know it's interesting i um i was revisiting a podcast that i did a couple of years ago this week and it was all about women in negotiations mm-hmm. and it talked about how women are such that we are exceptional advocates when it comes to doing so for others. But we're taught to nurture and put other people first. But then when it comes to ourselves, we're really, we're really not as strong of negotiators at all. And it can, you know, you, when you think of negotiations, a lot of times you just think about salary, but there's so much more because there's mm-hmm. negotiating your new job and your responsibilities and your new opportunities. 
Yeah. And that's even, I would even say that's the second step, you know, when you have unlocked this opportunity for yourself where there is something to negotiate about. But often the holding back starts even earlier where, you know, it's like, uh, I don't know if I can share this idea in a meeting or I don't think I can just go and talk to that person. They're like two levels above me and, you know, all of this kind of thing. So even just even just becoming visible without any ambition other than wanting to do a good job, you know, even, so even, even minor roadblocks mm-hmm. around gaining, gaining mm-hmm. visibility. And you're right. That visibility is so key to being identified as an up and comer, right. Or, a le- you know, to get mm-hmm. you on that leadership track. Exactly. So you, and you alluded to it, um, by your own success story, but I know that you speak a lot about trying to work, working to make where you work, how do I say, working to make where you work versus looking externally when you're unhappy. So trying to fix your your current environment versus, you know, lean and trying to find something else. Um, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on on this as an alternative to really just shutting the door on where you are now and and how how did you go about it mm. yeah so i mean obviously everybody has to find their own way and uh, by all means if you work in a company that um has really you know toxic culture and there's a lot of bullying going on or any of these kind of things then mm-hmm. get out right? of there yeah, yeah. find, find a yeah. new place but if you're just somewhat dissatisfied or or starting to get slowly frustrated and uh, but it's nothing super severe then i am a firm believer in staying with your company can really provide some really really great opportunities and it's really quite a safe space also so um i, I mean for example um when you apply for a new company then you can't just informally get to know the people up front because True. you often harder, don't even know right. who are them. Yeah. Um, then you don't have a chance to just go and try it out, you know? So whereas in your own company, you have always the opportunity to ask, you know, for a part-time secondment, to do some shadowing, to have to find a mentor in that area that you're, you know, sizing out. Um, you could even ask for a limited time job rotation, many, many things. Even if it's just like, hey, I'm curious to learn more about your area. Is it okay if I sit in on a team meeting or something like that. So you have such a good way to really kind of like take a sneak peek into the team culture, into what, you know, how that um, that team leader is like and so on and so on. So, so that's a huge benefit. Plus, if you have demonstrated in the company that you are a fast learner, that you're adaptable, that you work well with others, that you deliver on your promises and so on and so on, People are willing to give you a chance without the formal credentials, so to speak, because they have gotten to, you know, in marketing, we say know, like, and trust you. Um, and that word travels. You don't even have to do much convincing yourself because m- many of your peers will have talked you up behind your back. Yeah. Um, and in, and I, I always, I do work with a lot of career changers and that your biggest hurdle is getting people to be willing to take a risk on you. Yes. Um, 
And that's why I always say don't apply online when you're trying to do a uh, a career change because someone, a computer will never take a risk. A human being is the yeah. one who was willing to do that. But you're right, having that pre-established trust based on past your past track record, mm-hmm. that might be willing, might be a great way to get in. Do you find that it is harder to get sort of the salary bumps or is this more about taking on, focusing on the role that you're interested in, the responsibilities versus the compensation at this point? Um, I mean, we do want to be fairly compensated. And I think especially for women, we should make it a matter of principle to always ask for more, even if we don't think we need more or if we don't want more. (laughs) I think it's a matter of principle um, of asking for more simply because that's, you know, the best advice from all of the experts. And um, that is also how we how we start to, you know, woman by woman start to train the companies knowing that, wait a minute, they value themselves. Maybe we should value them as well. So, but for me personally, I mean, salary is really, really important. Um, and it should be, you know, appropriate to the level of value that you provide and the level of responsibility that your role holds, but it isn't the only, only important thing. And um, research has shown time and time again that because it's such an external motivator that we get used to it and the, you know, the, the rewarding effect of it wears off really quickly because our brains just adapt to anything. And interesting. Yeah. And so after, after a little while, that is just, you know, okay, like this is what it is. So, but other things like, like, do I feel supported and recognized by my boss? Do I get along well with my peers? Do I have the autonomy in the way that I do the work? Do I have, do I have the feeling that Mm -hmm. I can really make an impact and a difference? Do I enjoy working with my colleagues? All of these things are in the long run, so much more important than adding maybe 1,000 or 5,000 No, and, I, and most people are, most people when they make a career pivot, they don't do it for the money. You usually, some people even expect to take a step back. So the ability to even get the chance, that's what's the huge benefit of this, in my view. Absolutely. So you, I, I know sort of shifting gears slightly, you do speak a lot about um, challenges women face on building their credibility and, you know, becoming mm. regarded as an expert. And this is within the company, but also within the industry in some cases. Um, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on that in terms of challenges women face and sort of a path for overcoming roadblocks to that. Yeah. Um, I would like to especially, you know, let, let's let's focus on um, the the inner roadblocks and the things that any individual can do for themselves. Yeah. Um, because, I mean, we can think a lot about the external roadblocks, but then where does that get us? You know, That's right. <laughs> oftentimes we we can't move them, or we can't, you you know, or it's just uh, we're just um, running out of energy on the way there. Yeah. So, but what we can do is really. Um, what I also touched on earlier already is really show up and share what you know, but also what you think. So, I mean, for those shy of speaking up in meetings or sharing ideas. So, I mean, just start by sharing knowledge, you know, things that you feel really confident about because 
there's a study that proves it or because that is the data that you generated. So that, and you, you feel people feel more comfortable backing things up with data yes. and facts. Yes, exactly. And I, you know, I've been and through this journey and have still on this journey, you know, because I'm a scientist and we're so hardwired to really only rely on the facts and the data, but to be recognized as an expert, you also have to have an opinion and share that, you know, even if that means sometimes having an unpopular opinion, I mean, we can still deliver it in an agreeable way, but we can commit to the company's decision, but, um, you know, speaking from integrity, uh, and really, really taking a stand for things, uh, that is really when people start to know it's like, oh, it's like, she's not just like repeating the data or reciting anything, but like she actually thought about it and she's taking, you know, t- yeah, has, has a certain take on it. So that is one thing. Um, and another thing is really doing top-notch work. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, we all have a bad day on occasion, but sure. if you commit to something that you will deliver it, then you have to, and always strive to get better. Nothing has to be perfect, but you need to really show that you continue to improve and learn from things that didn't go so well. So that is really important. And maybe the third and third thing that I would say is to learn to communicate in a way that others understand you and feel inspired. And again, especially for the techies and techies and the geeks yeah. among us, so and I'm one of them, <laughs> is um, we are often so in our expert space that we speak. It's like it's like a foreign language to many other people. And uh, to learn to communicate our knowledge and our findings and our opinions in a way that people understand and can follow and are inspired to take action on it. That is really a key skill to build. And do you feel like, I mean, I would think that you could talk techie geek speak the whole time because you're amongst peers. Um, But are you saying that that is not always the case and you need to speak more plainly? Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, it even starts with your boss. Even if your boss has the same technical or educational background, so let's say you are a chemist and your boss is a chemist, then he or she will understand, you know, what you're saying, but they often don't have the time. Plus, they mm-hmm. have other considerations to make. So obviously your considerations are really, you know, if you are if you're an uh subject matter expert or just, you know, an individual contributor, then your concern is about is about the thing, about the topic. However, your boss really has to think about the implications and the interdependencies. Or like the business speak of thing, aspect mm. of things. Exactly. So you will always have to learn to, even for your boss to start to translate it and always think from the audience perspective. So what do they already know about this? What words do they use? What is important for them? What what element or what part of the information or the meaning of that information that I have to share, are they looking for? And to really be able to adapt to that. So, you know, as a, in, in product innovation, I had to speak with, I mean, obviously other, other, um, other scientists as well, but then there were the people from marketing and then maybe there are the people from, uh, from manufacturing yeah. and so on. And, and each, each of these like little universes, basically, they have their own, they have their the own concerns. Yeah. Mm, exactly. No, and that I think that's so smart. With, uh, when you have to communicate cross-functionally, it's very important to know who your audience is because you're right. Yes. Marketing lingo couldn't be any more different than IT lingo or finance lingo. And um, 
I think it's a real gift to people that can sort of boil it down into, uh, you know, I call it plain speak. I'm sure there's a better way to say that, but mm. something that resonates with all. Yes. Um, no, that, that's very smart. And it's interesting. The, do you feel when you said, you know, taking a stand um, mm-hmm. when you're sharing your opinion, often, you know, backing up with facts is mm-hmm. a, a helpful way to do that. Is it the same for men or do they have less? Does their opinion get to, does it tend to get in, yeah. in the war of a STEM? Is it heard differently or are they just more confident about it? Um, I guess it depends. I would say right? it depends sure. really on the individual. I mean, um, I have had men tell me the same issue about not daring to voice an opinion in a meeting mm. or things like that, um, just as much as women. And then again, I have come across women who are like, they couldn't be less shy of, you know, voicing right. their opinion and sharing what they think. Um, I have the impression um, that um, there are more more women struggling with that than men, but you mm-hmm. definitely have, you know, like humans mm-hmm. on both sides. Yeah, that's right. That's right. No one, no one escapes the, uh, some of this. I agree with you. Um, so I'd love to hear for those of those people that might be listening about, people that might be interested in somehow breaking into STEM. To me, it feels like sort of one of those um, industries that's, that's, that's a tough nut to crack. Um, can you speak to the obstacles that people face when they're looking to break into STEM? Um, and what yeah. what might you say to that person who's who's trying to do so? Okay. I'm, uh, I really like this question. And... Thank if you. possible, I would also like to turn it around to you a little bit because you have helped so many people, yeah. you know, make changes to their careers. Because this is a point where I might have a few limiting beliefs myself because okay. I, I come from STEM. Sure. So I'm just going to share like my opinion or my my view, and then I'm happy to hear your your yeah. perspective about this. So, um, you know, when you just said this question, I thought to myself. No, you need to like study chemistry and mm. or, or physics or something like that. Because I had noticed how much, mm, you know, all of those facts and data and all of that, you know, knowledge. But if you have been uh, um, like embedded into that for like five years or, or and, you know, five years of studying and then maybe three or three more years of doing your PhD is so like so in the middle of it that in the end, you have internalized all of those concepts and principles so much that transferring them to other things comes super easy. And I have a really, I have a really hard time picturing how someone who has a completely unrelated educational background could like really start working in, you know, it's like in, in a, in a, in a lab. laboratory team or, or, or in a, in a physics department or things like that. So, and that is, but I don't know. I mean, I can imagine that at some point when you, you know, a, a little bit higher in the, in the organization where you have a bit more of a generalist role and when you're leading teams, then the technical expertise might not matter as much. So I have known of lawyers who took on the the lead of an innovation team so it does happen definitely but i it's like at the moment i can't i can imagine it's really really hard i don't know what do you think so i think you bring up a good point i think that 
there are certain spaces where the education is absolutely critical. Um, mm-hmm. I can't imagine someone without a de- that the right degree being in a lab. The same way I don't wouldn't ex- I could imagine anyone go, jumping into surgery without having gone yeah. to medical school, right? But um, I think there probably are some adjacent roles within STEM, mm-hmm. and I'm thinking of ones where the AI and the analytics um, mm-hmm. knowledge might come in where that's a different level of education that you need. And yes. you might, and some of it might be a little bit more industry transferable. Um, mm-hmm. I guess it, it would, it really does depend on the role. And then some people, some people just want to be close to the, the industry. You know, they, they, they know that they can't be a scientist, but even scientific companies need human resources people. They need finance people. Um, yes. And so there are corporate business function roles that you can have where you can, be part of an industry that's making an impact in the way that so many in the STEM field are. Mm. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Exactly. Um, but I think at the end of the day, some, with some roles, you know, you just, just got to go back to school. Yeah. So <laughs> one way or the other. But I've helped people conversely. I've helped, I've heard, I've actually, I actually tend to work more with people that are our scientists, our mathematicians, and help them to move into the corporate business function, move into project mm-hmm. management, and then move mm-hmm. into, you know, product marketing. Um, and I do think it's, it's, they have such valuable skills because they really understand how, how things, how things are made, how are they, how they're developed, all of that. Yeah. Um, I also have the feeling like that direction is easier. And again, this might be a complete like misconception on my part, but I also remember once hearing an interview with Indra Nui, so the um, ex-CEO of Pepsi. Mm -hmm. And she said that because, and she has a scientific background as well. And she, she gave the advising, you know, it's like if when you have studied a, a science or a technical field, you can go into anything because you've already learned the hard stuff. And, well, and, your brain, so- and your brain works in a different way. I feel mm. like the problem solving skills are a little bit different. Oh, yes. But a lot yeah. of times people will go back and get their MBA and mm-hmm. then use that to transition. But I, I, I feel like the training that you receive in the educa- in the, in those that core education is a little different. So it depends on what role you're interested in yeah, and why you want to go into it. But no, thank you for that. Um, I think we're on the same page. Um, so it's sort of shifting gears and we've alluded to it a little bit with men and women and um, underrepresented, but there's always talk in all industries about discrimination. And that can, you know, mm-hmm. when it comes to hiring, promotion, promotion, professional development, advancement, um, it ranges from age to ethnicity to gender. And I'd love to hear if, if you feel like this is just as prevalent in STEM as elsewhere. And, you know, how do you, how do you advise your, your female clients to navigate this? Mm. Um, you know, my guess is that people are people in any field and in any mm-hmm. area. So I I assume it's just as prevalent in STEM as it is in any other field. But, you know, I don't have any data to support it, but I for sure hear others talk about, you know, no, about I feel like STEM is so much more global than other other industries. You, yeah. Do you find that you work with an international often with international teams and people that are from Um, all over? Again, it depends. Like even within the same company, even if the company is an international company, you may have pockets 
Like if you have a local lab, then within that local lab, it's highly likely that there are only local people. Okay, that makes sense. You know, and um, but obviously, if you then have a a research team that can work from an office space from anywhere, then again, you might have uh, a a good mix of people. So, um, but when I talk to colleagues, you know, other coaches and so on, and they, um, they tell me a lot that they have a lot of frustrated clients also. And if you, um, you know, disadvantaged, disadvantaged. So, so, so I'm guessing there's a lot of that. Um, Just as in like, as if you would work in, in finance or sure. in law, anything like that. And um, do you, do you mm-hmm. feel like, um, you know, since you're working mostly with women, you're overcoming the um, the sexism gaps, I guess. Do you also see age discrimination issues? Is that something that concerns women that you work with? Because um, I know I work with a lot of women that are, you know, 50 plus, and mm-hmm. that does creep into our, it, it's another mental roadblock that we have to overcome. Um, yeah, so I, I, my work is mainly with women in the early parts of their career. So personally, I, I don't have any. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, but in terms of how to navigate that. So, I mean, if there's like obvious racism and sexism or anything else going on, then, um, you can, you can check in with yourself, I guess. And to, to see a case, like, um, do I leave a bad public review? Do I speak up about this in some way? Or do I even take legal action? So, and this is a very personal um, decision, I guess, that everyone makes. Um, but for the, for the like less offensive of, or, or less open offenses, yeah. should we say, um, you know, I mean, we all know it exists, but I think the important thing is to not let it get in our head and then let it become a, self-fulfilling prophecy in the way that we even assume, you know, oh, these people, you know, sometimes people, sometimes people are jerked just because they had a bad day, not because they are sick. Right, 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 right. (laughs) That's exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. And then so not to like jump to false conclusions or to even, you know, be be anticipatory in, in your behavior. Like, like, right. And then because then it does become a self-fulfilling prophecy. I agree. Yeah. So that's just about controlling what you can control, right? Yeah. Exactly. You know, I agree. So Nicole, I was looking at your LinkedIn and am I correct in that you have you have two roles right now? So you're still working for your company, but then you also have this practice. Is that right? Yes. I have the best of both worlds. (laughs) So wearing two hats, what do you see for you? What um what are you hoping to do now that hopefully people are starting to get vaccinated and the world might open up what's what's next for you on the career front um so when the world starts opening up now i know on the personal front i'm so looking forward to just have have like sit sit with some friends or colleagues and have a beer together or something yeah being a bit social again that is i we we all really really miss that um other than that so on on with my coaching practice obviously i continue to serve my clients working with women in stem re- really um helping them progress in their career you know without the need to wanting to become the ceo but really just uh building that expert reputation and um recognition with which the new opportunities come um and then with with my corporate role well i guess as long as it's fun for me and I, I can grow there, 
um, and I enjoy working in that team, then I will continue to do that because at the moment I'm really quite in a sweet spot. That's wonderful. So what I have done is I've included your LinkedIn profile in your Into Action, uh, the link to your website, which is Into Action Coaching. Mm -hmm. Are those the two best places for people to find you and learn more? Or was there any other place that you'd like to shout out in terms of being people able to follow you and connect with you? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so uh, I always... So LinkedIn is my favorite social media platform. So please uh, come on and connect with me. (laughs) I'm always looking forward to meeting new people. Um, On the website, there's a free resource for those who would like to know my five favorite strategies to, you know, non-awkward strategies to (laughs) promote your work and yourself. Um, And then maybe that's also interesting to know for your listeners twice a year. So typically in March and September, I host a one week, let's say professional online professional development event where I have um, interviews recorded with other experts that you can listen to podcast style and it's free to attend. But if you want, you can upgrade for a small fee, get some awesome bonuses. And we always donate, um, any profits that we make from it. And so we can, it's, it's really a nice way to, to give back just everywhere. And, um, uh, yeah, people really love it. And that is called women in STEM dash reimagined.com. Women in STEM dash reimagined.com. Excellent. Well, Nicole, thank you so much for taking time out of your day, especially I know it's, we're closing in on the end of the week here. So I appreciate your eating into your Friday to speak oh, with me. Thanks so much for having me. And uh, yeah, I really enjoyed our conversation. You've been listening to The Resume Storyteller with Virginia Franco. To learn more about storytelling strategies to catch the eye of today's online skim hiring and decision makers, please visit www.virginiafrancoresumes.com.